Hey folks, it's Tess from the Curiosity Project. Just letting you know, and as a reminder, the audio for this episode won't be as good as I want it to be because I'm kind of unable to really edit much of the episodes um, because my computer is broken. And so I need to save up to fix that. Uh, as a result, I don't really have a headphone jack and I can't manage things like audio levels outside of one half functioning speaker. I hope that's okay. Still, this conversation is awesome and I know you're gonna have a good time. My name is uh, Todd Stashwick, son of Richard and Jackie Stashwick, brother of Dana Stashwick, husband of Charity Stashwick, father of Matilda Stashwick and Oscar Stashwick, far too many pets. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an artist, not of the painting kind, but of the other disciplines, sort of acting and writing i draw um i am carbon based um i'm phylum homo sapien sapien i believe from chicago what are the three things you value most in life joy but joy is a big one so joy uh integrity and kindness. Do you think that the kindness comes across as a necessary part of art then? Because you can't really create art without kindness because you're either give, trying to give someone an experience or you're giving yourself an experience. I, I cannot, I cannot uh, attempt to discern where someone else's art comes from. Uh, so I couldn't say Yes, you cannot do art without kindness. I, I couldn't I couldn't speak to that because I'm sure there's been a great deal of art that has been created to deride, to harm. I'm not saying it's good art or productive art or healthy art, but I'm sure there has been art created out of the opposite of kindness. Um, I think, in fact, in fact, there's an argument to be made that art is a wholly selfish act. Um, it is, I mean, it is self-expression. It is interpretation. It is uh, a self-discipline. Um, if it's, I mean, it's, I mean, I guess there's, you know, my, my sister-in-law is a, She's a, a baker, a pastry chef. She makes ice cream. She's got an ice cream shop in Maine called Molly's Moo. No, Morton's Moo. Her name's Molly. It's called Morton's Moo. It's in Bangor, Maine. She uh, She's living with us for a bit in Los Angeles. And she she made me this. I was work, She was working in this restaurant. I went to the restaurant. She made me this dessert. And it was just gorgeous. It was this chocolate thing that was a it was like sort of like a cube it was encrusted in chocolate and had all this filigree and this raspberry drizzle and she brought it out to me and i said well i almost don't want to eat it because it it was so beautiful and she goes um well then it's not finished and i said oh i said go on she goes well it's a three-part 
like this piece of art is 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 in three parts it's the what i'm doing in the kitchen and then it's you witnessing it with your eyes and then this piece of food is not this piece of art is not finished until it is consumed literally consumed like by my mouth and so so i found that fascinating and just a way to approach a lot of art but the first part of the art is a selfish act it's i am doing something that you know what i'm going to say brings me pleasure even though one would say it could art could be painful for somebody else to get it out of them but catharsis catharsis is is always i think a, a healthy act right so you're getting something out of yourself and you're putting it out in front of you the dreamer examines his pillow as they say um so you're getting it out of you and then and then like you said the kindness part of like you're making it for somebody else but i think initially you're making it for you yeah is that a form of self-kindness or is is selfishness I, 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 well, self, selfishness is not, I mean, I, I'm not going to appraise all selfishness as saying it's all bad. Like, like turning one's intention on themselves and doing something for the gain of oneself isn't always a negative act, right? It's, it, it can be a positive act. Working out at the gym is is something you do for yourself uh read a book is something you do for yourself now the benefits of uh you know there's a house fire and now i'm stronger to lift that girder off my child before so i can get her to read like or or read a book well that inspires me to tell a story or i've 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 found empathy in a character and, and whatnot but uh what was the question uh is self so selfishness isn't necessarily a, a negative thing i've just been on these kind of meditations of kindness recently um yeah, i love it because to be honest i've always described myself as like a kind person even at times in my life when like i was you know angry and bitter and like resentful of things around sure. me. sure um like being queer is is a an existence intrinsically linked with suffering it, there's no escaping that it's joy it's why it's, is that we don't live in a society that fully understands what it means to be queer. We don't. Uh, and so I grew up with a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be queer. And so you realize that you are something that you do not understand. And you either reject that reality, which is the kind of primary reaction of a lot of people, myself included. Like, I don't know if I agree with this. I don't know if I want this to be true. Uh, but it is true. You can't change kind of who you are and you have to just accept that. Um, and the, it is a process of catharsis where you get to the end of it and you go like, well, I am who I am because of all these trials and tribulations. Um, but I've realized recently that with all of the kind acts that I do for other people, I've not been kind to myself. I am not a kind person to myself. I'm very hard on myself. I, if someone treated me the way that I sometimes treat myself, I would not simply hang out with them. I would not interact. I would not engage. And so I've been... When you say kindness, it just kind of sparks something in my head. Like, well, is is being selfish? Is being is is the creation of like this show is my ultimate gift of kindness to myself. Being able to interview people and and give 
give gifts um, to like my, myself and to the people that are on the show sometimes and the people that send me kind messages about the show. Um, but does that compensate, I guess, for the mountains of shit that also exist? Well, you know, it's, it's first like we are in a fascinating philosophical state in that we are born into this world. The only owner's manual we are given is the experiences that we have just being in our bodies and then that which can be relayed to us from people who've come before, right? So we don't, like, I don't intrinsically understand how my blood exchanges oxygen. I don't intrinsically understand the psychological makeup of fear. Like, I don't intrinsically understand it. I experience it. Uh, like, I, like, I know that something's happening, and then if I want to dig deeper onto the causes and effects of that, then the second part is, uh, which is actually the first part, which is that which we experience ourselves. We notice things about ourselves, our, our proclivities, our interests, our whatnot, and, and, and they're affected by our experiences, but they're also intrinsic. Like, I always say to my 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 daughter I'm like i was like I don't, I don't choose to like chocolate ice cream i just noticed that i did when exposed to it i don't pick what i like and i don't pick what i don't like i notice what i don't like and i notice what i like i notice what i'm drawn to and i notice what i'm repulsed by i don't choose it it it, it, it is part of the operating system that i was born with um can i alter that can i broaden those things like when i first tasted whiskey as a younger person it was like ah oh, that's a lot that's extra i i don't well, i don't know what to do with that but i also don't i didn't intrinsically appraise it as i don't like it immediately i'm like well it's not a it's not a physical experience i'm accustomed to but i don't hate it and so I would know that if I hated it, right? Because then you know intrinsically, I don't, I don't like watermelon. Like I don't, I don't like eating it. It bugs me when I bite into it. I don't like it. So, so when you, when we talk about noticing who you are, whether you're queer or straight or trans or, or any of it, right? We notice that about ourselves. We would, we notice that's how we were born, and then the world, unfortunately, those that came before us have laid out an operating system for society. They've laid out this operating system of what is good and bad, uh, what is male and female, what is what is, uh, what is is acceptable. I mean, we live in, uh, my country is upside down right now with racial relations, with LGBTQ relations. It's upside down. It's just, it's in, it's in, I think it's in a, I think it's what, it's, it's an extinction burst. Do you know what an extinction burst is? Okay, an extinction burst is, uh, when you are trying to curb a behavior in a child, so to say, you're trying to curb a behavior in a child. When they get closer to knowing that that, that behavior will change, the opposite of what you are desiring for that change will occur tenfold. So you get an extinction burst. So it's like, it's like, it's time for bed. Your bedtime is nine o'clock. The kid knows that. And then at 8.25, they are running around the house because they are trying to run away from the inevitable change that's coming. 
right? So it's a growing pain. It's a growing pain of behavior. So I think all of the turmoil that's going on with our society, with MAGA and all of this crap that, that my country is going through, a lot of the conservative end of crap, I think it's a death rattle of, you know, the, the future that we all deserve. And I think there are people freaking out about the change that is going to happen. It's going to happen. There is a side of history. It always tilts towards the, the correct, the compassionate, the kind. It just takes long to, longer to tilt there. But we're getting there. We're getting there. And, and, and where we are now is better than where we've been. And where we were then is better than where it was before. And so it's getting there. I don't remember the question, but it's an interesting tangent. I just went from I just went from chocolate ice cream to LGBTQ rights. So, you know. Question three is: Tell me a memory that shaped you. Memory that shaped me. There's so many. I'm old, so there's a lot. One time, I'll just this is one because I've told others in the past. So this is an interesting one, and it and it goes to kindness, and it goes to a, a confusion that I have in life. I was hanging out with a friend. I couldn't have been more than like elementary school. And I was hanging out with a friend, a buddy, and, and we had collected little frogs. We had found little frogs, like little peepers. And I was going to bring them back. And one of my friends wanted the one that I had. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to bring it back to my thing. I found this one. He's like, no, I want that one. I'm like, you can't. Like, you can, I can't, I mean, I, I could give it to you, but I was little or I was maybe nine or 10, if that. Well, I got on, and, and he was walking my bicycle because I was holding the frogs. So he was walking my bicycle. And he goes, well, if you don't give it to me, I'm just going to take your bike. And he just took my bike and he threw it over the fence into his yard. And I was just... I was confused. Like as a little kid, I'm like, why would you, why would a person do that to another person? Like, I don't understand. I just didn't understand fundamentally. Like I found this thing and I was enjoying a little toad frog that I found and he found his and, I, and he wanted to take mine. And because he couldn't take mine, he was going to take something else of mine. And, and I, I was like, that's not how people should be. Like, at a very young age, I was like, that's not, that, that sort of act of selfishness or that sort of act of spitefulness, I just, I, I didn't grok it, but I knew I didn't want to be that way. And I think as I got, as I got older and I look back at it now, I mean, there might have been a troubled household that he was dealing with. I, like older people were treating him poorly and he was mirroring behavior and like there's there's a lot that goes into it ultimately but i think it was very formative like i can picture it walking down the suburban streets of chicago of him just just laying claim to something that didn't belong to him and then doing it because he wasn't getting his way and he knew it would hurt me intentionally and i was like well, wow, that's some powerful ill behavior that I'm going to make sure I'm not like. Tell me in as much detail as you can about something you knew of which once existed and now does not. Well, see, 
that's that's a tricky thing. Like if I was thinking of culturally, you know, I, we were big into cassette tapes, and no one uses those anymore, but they're coming back. Like that's the thing. It's like vinyl was out forever, and now vinyl's back, and then CDs CDs are kind of out. Uh, but yeah, the cassette tape, and I and I use the I say the cassette tape because it was so many different things to us youngsters in the 80s in the late 70s and 80s cassette tapes because yes it was a it was a way to convey music uh and and i was a big audiophile listened to a lot of music as a kid um we could carry it with us in a way and it was tactile it wasn't like itunes where you're just sort of scrolling through the ether plucking a song you like out of out of the mists um but it was tactile and it came with like liner notes like a record album but it was little and compact and it just the design was elegant and a little tiny little reel to reel inside that cassette and um but it was also a way to make a record of an event so it was like i'm gonna make a mixtape for a friend I'm going to make a mixtape for a road trip. Uh, like, this was a thing. Now we make playlists on iTunes and whatnot, which is the same concept, but nowhere near the labor, which is you put the record on, and then you set the thing, and then you hit record right as the record starts playing. Or you have a two-disc set, and then you have to record it off of it. It was just... It was... It, it was you took an evening... Or a week to make a mixtape, so it was it was you were curating and you were living inside your music and linking songs together in a way that was meaningful to you. And then you would, like you were saying at the beginning, art is an act of kindness. Then you would give that to somebody. You're like, here's a piece of my soul. These the songs in the order that you're going to hear them are going to tell you something about me, and I made that for you because it's important for me to to have you know more about me. And I also want to entertain you. So that was the thing. And then the other thing was a blank mixtape or a blank uh, cassette tape. My cousin and I, we would make little radio adventures or do little comedy bits and record them. Um, and that act, like I said, the, 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 the tools have changed. People are still doing it through YouTube and whatnot. But there was something really uh, analog and lo-fi about doing it with your cassette tape player and your, your little plastic cassette. That was pretty cool. I actually tried last year to during the pandemic to find a cassette player, a cassette player and cassette tapes. Um, and I just couldn't find one for any reasonable cost. It was like, this sucks. Um, because I agree with you, there's something, I prefer to do things in a manual way. If I, like, there's a reason why these questions are written out in paper instead of like yeah, a Word right, document. Right, right. Sure. Yeah, I love it. I love, like, I love building Lego, like anything that's tactile, anything that works with my hands. And when my I couldn't son find is, My son is your age and he is a big Lego guy and he bit, he's really into like vinyl and old school stuff too. Yeah, he's, he's twenty three as well. So it's 
it's wild then that like the majority of the music I listen to comes from my phone and, and I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. I want to hear the crunchiness of it. Whenever I get to hear a record, whenever I get to hear a cassette, it's crunchy. It's, it's visceral. And it's literally, well, with a vinyl anyway, because it's cut into the grooves, it's literally a physical representation of what happened in the room when they were making that music. What do you suck at? So much. So much. I cannot play musical instruments. I can noodle on a ukulele, barely. I can't read music. I would love to have been... Eh, look, if I had loved to have been, I would have pursued it harder. But I, I look back and go, oh, I wish I had had... I took guitar lessons. I took ukulele lessons. It just doesn't stick. I suck at that that kind of hand-eye. And then, like, I can strum a tiny little tune on a ukulele, but my big dumb fingers get in the way, and then try to sing while I'm doing it? Nope. No. So when I see people that can play an instrument, it makes... Uh, well, A, I love that they're doing it, and B, uh, I'm like, ah, oh, that is a superpower that I just do not possess. What are you great at? If I have a master's degree in anything, it would be improvisation because of the amount that I have, you know, the 10,000 hours that I've put into it. Um, yeah, I've spent a lot of time on stage in front of people making shit up, like improvisation. But, but more to collecting while I'm while I'm improvising, collecting the information that is brought out by other people and finding ways to thematically tie it together. Like I always say that in the improv groups that I was in, I was always the mathematician. I could go, Oh great, and add add up what other people were doing and have it kind of land in an interesting metaphoric theatrical way that you go oh wow that added it all up i mean that was sort of my ninja skill as an improviser and i had an improv school for many years and taught it uh i've performed it uh, uh in different parts of the world and now i play a lot of dungeons and dragons and so i'm a dm and there's a lot of improvisation to that so i would say if if you know if you're asking me to answer the question what am i great at Skill-wise, it's uh, improvisation, but it usually, but it it's not. I'm not like like Robin Williams or Jim Carrey are great at ad libbing, like really quick, like like my skill set of improvisation requires other people to make it happen. Like to me, that it's improvisation is a group sport, uh, and I and I love the input from. That, that's what feeds me. And then I'm able to take all the things that I'm given and be able to make a quilt out of it, right? Give it shape and, and, and shape. So that, that helps with writing because I'm able to retain information that was some people may have forgotten, but then I'm able to bring it back at the end and, and kind of make things make theatrical sense. Uh, I would say that's a big skill that i have 
and, and I've used it to great. Uh, the other thing that I, 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 I'm great at is uh, not, I'm not cynical. I'm great at not being cynical. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't disparage. I don't disparage and I don't, uh, and, and, and look, knock on wood, I, 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 like, I don't have, I don't suffer from depression. I haven't. And I recognize that that is both uh, a clinical disorder as well as a circumstantial disorder. And, and however people come upon depression, uh, I, I, uh, I'm humbled by the mountains people climb with it. And, and it is not something that I have had to endure personally. Uh, that being, being the case that makes me the optimist in the group, I am there to cheerlead and stay plucky and afoot, uh, fleet of foot and moving forward. This reminds we have a lot in common. I've, I've realized over the course of this interview, cause I am a DM as well. And, and that's like. My skill is being able to remember the things my players forgot they said and going, gotcha. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting that at the end there you went like, I haven't suffered from depression. This allows me to be optimistic. There's this kind of concept in storytelling, like the wounded healer or like the wound. Uh, you, you see it in um, the TV series like Band of Brothers. Uh, you ever seen Band of Brothers? There's that episode with the... the in this episode, there's one episode which is set specifically in this frozen forest. And it's my favorite episode of the show, and it features, it's from the perspective of, of a healer. And the healer is just, obviously from being a healer and more very traumatized and stuff, but is doing his best to like healing people. And I resonated very heavily with that, because I, I do suffer from depression. I have depressive anxiety disorder, so that, you know, uh, not, <laughs> not an amazing thing to have. Uh, and you didn't, and, you didn't ask for it? No. You just it, noticed that you have it. And yet, I am the optimist of my of a lot of friends I'm in, um, and this this concept of like the wounded healer, the the person who is like struggling quite a lot themselves. But they, they, not that it's my job to be optimistic, but I find that I can either labor in my own despair, I can I can find the tendrils will drag me down, or I can at least uplift. And I I truly believe that in uplifting, you bring everyone up. Uplifting is of course, and so. Of course, that's it's it's super interesting um, to hear like the the opposite perspective and yet the same goal of like yeah it also could be like I, look I've had my share of loss and suffering in my life I I haven't it's it's, it's not like I've been immune to adversity it's just not been something that has was met with. Um, it was not something that was met with uh, an operating system that had depression woven into it. So I, I, you know, I lost my dad two years ago. That's a thing that happens to people like this is. And so I recognize that. Was I sad? Yes. Am I still sad? Yeah. Uh, but if I was, if I suffered from depression, the reaction to that very natural occurrence in life could be possibly very different than 
so I, I so there by the grace go I, I I like I am fortunate that I don't wrestle with those other demons um, when I'm wrestling with external ones. I mean I'm not saying I don't have doubt and I don't have insecurity and I don't have all of those things. What I don't have is depression, which is a very specific thing. What fascinates you? This sounds so lofty. The mind of the artist in that I'm fascinated because I consume a lot of art, whether it's music or D&D or um, books, comic books. What fascinates me is how a person can take the raw material of experience and then assemble it in a way that codifies their experience and how they want to communicate it in an entertaining way. So like when I, like when I read a book or see a movie, like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, when I watch There Will Be Blood, I'm just a gob at how he was able to codify the story he wanted to tell and then what Daniel Day-Lewis did with it and and the cinematographer, and all the pieces come together. That fascinates me of how you can reflect human experience in so many varied, varied, varied ways. Whether I'm listening to uh, a song, uh, you know, listening uh, listening to the Beatles, uh, and how they assembled those notes and then tied it with that lyric, with those instruments. I find, I find process fascinating. So I watch a lot of like, like behind the scenes stuff, uh, process of like, Oh, this is how we came up with, this is what inspired Batman. This is what inspired, uh, Superman or just reading, reading Tolkien and how he assembles a sentence and what words he chose to use when that fascinates me to no end. I am just endlessly curious about other people's process and then endlessly curious about consuming the things that artists make music and visual art, drawing, painting, sculpture, I just love it so much. And, and, and right now, the thing that I've been fascinated by is the underlying systems for D&D and how they shape story. So, so literally, how, how the dice determine the shape of the story. So taking math and combining it with improvisation and preparation lore character creation motivation setting and then how you allow the randomness of 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 a a dice roll combining that with your stats and then like it it's so fascinating to me right now and i'm deep diving on it uh Improvisation used to do that for me too, and and this is just taking that art form and applying it to a different craft. 
Uh, I'm currently a player in a Curse of Strad campaign. Uh, we're near, oh, fun! Near, near the end, I'm playing a Warlock Paladin. Uh, not doing Hexblade because I wanted to do something different. Because everyone, play, sure. if they're gonna, be, if they're gonna do it, they usually do Hexblade. But, um, and my character originally was supposed to be this like stoic Paladin. She was supposed to be very um, withdrawn and different from the party. And because of the dice rolls that I got very early on, she's just like the the worst socially <laughs> most awkward person that has ever existed. Like she accidentally and spoilers for Curse of Strand, uh, she accidentally reveals uh, that um, Van Richten is in in Barovia, and she does that to Strad, uh, and she's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> and I'm like. And I, I seem to, as a person while I'm playing, embody this character and, and her stupidity in, in a way that's really entertaining and, and like wonderful. And all of that happened just because when I was rolling at the start to intimidate and to persuade, it was just crap. She was just rolling terribly. Um, and we're coming up to the end of Curse of Strad now, and I, I was actually saying this on, on Twitter. I'm looking at getting like, um, like something to commemorate at the end of it because this is the first time i've ever sat through like a full module because i'm usually a dm and so um i'm looking for something to commemorate um, get a tattoo yeah <laughs> that's a good idea that is a good, I, I didn't think of that but that's a good idea i have no i don't have any tattoos not because i don't want them but because i just never have had the money to do uh-huh. it uh but my dad does my dad they got a tattoo when he was 20 four or something nearly got blood poisoning and died and then didn't get another one until this year uh but i'm yeah maybe i didn't start getting tattoos till 40 i really like to split the the rp with the with the dice rolls because i once tweeted i said uh without the dice dnd is just a really fun nerdy conversation and so <laughs> it's the dice that makes it a game and your character like you were just saying, are the dice and your character sheet and how they interact with each other. That is that is what ultimately motivates your choices and behavior because of how it plays out. And so, you know, you've got to stay nimble as a DM to be able to react to those. I just was listening to Exandria Unlimited, uh, Abria. She's a lovely, lovely DM. And she was... She was trying to spool out story, and it was really cute because people were just rolling crap rolls. And she's like, what did she say? I actually wrote it down because it made me laugh really hard. Uh, she said, she's like, they were rolling crap. And she's like, tight, 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 all this plot I don't get to give you. <laughs> so she was like, I can't tell you what I wanted to tell you right now because you didn't roll. You didn't earn it with the rolls. And I was like, oh, that's fun. That's really fun. <laughs> I I did a lot of homebrew stuff. I still do a lot of homebrew stuff when I'm yeah. running. And yeah, when my players don't run something, I what I do is if they roll poorly, I, I don't not tell them. I just come up with like a, a perception that they could have of the situation that's just completely wrong. Oh, no. I, I think there's a way to, to... Well, there's also a way for them to be tantalized and frustrated about what they're not getting. And so... so I, the most controversial tweet I ever put out about D&D in terms of the, the feedback loop that I got was 
I said, D&D truth, bad roles equal great story. And people were like, jumped on me. Like, no, actually, the game system doesn't allow that. There are other games that allow for that. And that's not inherent in Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm like, all right, don't let me take up Dungeon Master's Guide because it's actually in there. And it literally says, here's, here's ways that you can spin bad roles into... I'm like, if if you think bad roles don't equal a good story, then that that's that's on you as a DM. Yeah, totally. Or agree. as a player, or as a player, like I make I, when when my players roll a, a a critical fail, I make them tell me how badly they screwed up. I make them I make them entertain us all with their foolery, and it's a blast. It's an absolute blast. What piece of media should everyone consume? Music. Music. Because music is... It's the shortest connection to emotion because it need not be bothered with words. Um, And there's so many varied versions of it that there's a version of it for you. Even if you don't know it yet. And it connects to the soul in a way I don't think anything else does. What's your favorite album? Of all time? Yeah. You know, it's funny. When you asked that, my first thought was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. My second thought was the White Album. My third thought is... Ruby Vroom by Soul Coughing. And my fourth thought is Grand Illusion by Styx. Awesome. I have a list of everything people recommend and talk about, so I'll just I'll just pop those into the list. Yeah, I mean look, like pound for pound like Sgt. Pepper and the White Album, like if I had to be stranded on a desert island. It's funny, I only I have two lyrics tattooed on my body. One is from Sticks Grand Illusion, uh, from the song Come Sail Away, and then the other one is from The Benefit of Mr. Kite. Uh, a splendid time is guaranteed for all. Um, and so it's it's uh yeah, the Beatles like right when you ask it, I just immediately pictured the Sgt. Pepper cover. It was a transformative album for me. I mean I, there's a lot of great albums out there that I will spin from top to bottom but uh those would be the top four and the top two are taken up by the beatles so it's beatles soul coughing sticks if you could name a hot sauce what would you call it and why if i could name a hot sauce what would i call it and why um what would i call it that's a great question I'm going back. Okay, so when I was in Chicago, when I was doing Second City, I I did a little tour at Second City, Detroit. And so this is leading into the story. Um, One of our, uh, one of our, our, our director, stage manager, he made a chili that was so spicy that you got a little high from it because you're the endorphins. So I think if I was going to name a hot sauce, I would name it delirium. 
That's a good um, name. Because cause it would make you... Cause, and, and then also the nod to one of my favorite endless in Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, and that's Delirium. So, Delirium. That's a great name. That's that's a yeah. great, great name. Yeah. Do you have one of my favorite characters as well. What? Do you have an idea of what you would like design the bottle? Like, what would it look like? Well, it would be her, Delirium, from from The Endless. I don't know if you read any Neil Gaiman, but if you don't, you should. Uh, read The Sandman volumes from beginning to end. Because they're, they're my favorite piece of literature uh, of all time, is The Sandman comics. Um, and oddly, I don't have any Sandman tattoos. That'll be nice. So, um, the, so it would be Delirium, the character Delirium, um, but then behind her, uh, in the shadows would be Lucifer. So you'd see his eyes glowing, uh, just so that you get the idea that it's, you know, fire and flames and whatnot, but it would be Delirium. What is your most prized physical possession? Well, this is my dad's wedding ring, so that's a big one. Uh, I wear that. But in terms of like my nerdy prize possessions, I've got some really cool swag from 12 Monkeys, the show that I did. I have uh, Han Solo's blaster. I have somebody made a Funko Pop. This, this, this woman who goes by Dr. Funko Stein made a Funko Pop of my character Deacon from 12 Monkeys. And that makes me smile every time I see it. Uh, I have the original pencil sketch of uh, Star Wars number two, the Marvel comic cover. So the original pencil sketch of of that cover. And that's pretty wonderful too. But this whole room is sort of a tribute. I can give you a, a quick... This is a tribute to my nerddom, but it Holy just kind of goes. Smokes. It goes on and on and on and on, and then there's a hole in the wall. This is the nerd lair that I call it. The nerd lair. This is where I play D and D. There's a there's a D twenty lamp. Well, I have a lot. I've been collecting for a very long time, very 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 long time, and so. Uh, when you say favorite, most prized possession, um, it varies. It depends on the nerddom that we're talking about. Like, like this is my most prized D&D uh, thing. It's uh, the white box. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and that's pretty sweet. It has uh, all the original books. <laughs> Uh, so that's that's one of my favorite uh, collector's items. I want to get the Chainmail Fantasy Supplement uh, someday, but that's a lot of money, and I have to be independently wealthy uh, because I think it goes for like $5,000. So. Uh, but I have a collector's spirit, so I love this stuff. I love the toys. I love the toys, and I love the collectible books and stuff like that. What is the most valuable thing you have ever learned? Uh, huh. Yeah, the Moulin Rouge just comes to mind, which is to love and to be loved in return. 
the love you make is equal to the love you take. I mean, these are cliches, but it's it's the most valuable thing I've ever learned. It always just comes back to kindness. Treat others the way you want to be treated. It, it just seems cliche, but it really kind of takes care of everything. Because even if I'm treated poorly, if I if I behave with kindness, then like my ledger is clean and I feel good and okay. Like I'm not a spiteful person. I'm not a vindictive person. I'm not a, uh, I'm, I'm sure I've behaved selfishly. I'm sure I'm a human being. I'm sure I've behaved poorly and thoughtlessly in my life. I guess to say thank you. And I'm sorry, like in this life, be grateful and own your mistakes. Right. How do you feel about death? I don't know, I'll let you know when it happens. <laughs> that's, that's a good answer. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, do I want it? Nah, nah. I would love to live forever, I think. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any, I place zero value on what happens to myself after. So I place so much value on how I am now. It's precious and amazing and wonderful and, and I need to drink from the cup and live the life uh, I'm given. Um, or I have. I don't know if I was given. I guess I was given it by my mom and dad. Um, yeah, I have no... Yeah, I don't want to die painfully. <laughs> there. There's my thought. Like, I'll, I'll be fine with it when it happens. I hope it doesn't happen sooner than later. Those are my big feelings, but yeah, I, I have no dog in the fight as other than, hey, I'd like to kind of keep staying alive and living and all that. What's the best thing that's happened to you this week? This week? I went surfing yesterday and I saw friends that I hadn't seen in a long time. I went, I went surfing yesterday and I hadn't been surfing for three years. Uh, banged myself up something awful, which is great. Um, but it was great. It was great. Went surfing yesterday for like seven hours. It was awesome. Uh, I wasn't in the water the whole time, but it was good. And then I, I, I gathered with some friends. We went down to Anaheim and went to Trader Sam's to uh, celebrate uh, just seeing each other. And we had some tiki drinks and it was good. It was really good. And then I got to watch my daughter surf yesterday. That was pretty huge. She loved it. She absolutely loved it. Um, if you were on a starship, what position would you hold? Captain. Whether it's the Millennium Falcon, like, I, I gotta fly my own ship. <laughs> <laughs> if you could give just one piece of advice, what would that be? Play. Whatever that means to you, play. That's if that's frisbee golf, if that's D and D, if that's piano, if that's poker or throwing axes or making a cake or telling a joke or wrestling with your dog, just play. That's it. Just play.